0: I'm Andy Kesson, and this is A Bit Lit. Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A Bit Lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We've followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders, via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over a hundred films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co, or on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter at AbitLit. In this new AbitLit film, I talked to the wrestler Nick Radford about professional wrestling, but also his identity as the poet laureate of professional wrestling. He's really fascinating on the subject of what it means to be a writer in a wrestling match and in the context of wrestling. And I'm particularly grateful to the way Nick is so open about how he got to that point and why his work matters to him. I hope you enjoy the film. Nick, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's going really well, thank you. Um, We're speaking very late for you, very early for me. Uh, So I'm grateful to you for staying up to, to speak to us. Um, and we start these films by asking contributors just to introduce themselves and then to tell us a little bit about what they do. So would you mind doing that, please?
1: Yeah, of course, and I appreciate you getting up so early to do this (laughs) with me. Um, My name is Nick Radford. I am known in some circles as the Poet Laureate of Professional Wrestling. Um, I am a professional wrestler in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, uh, mainly Washington, Oregon, a little bit up in Canada. Um, I write poetry um part of what i do when, when i wrestle is i write and read poetry often to the chagrin of my opponents um and i i'm a member of the academy with my tag team partner tom allman and um we kind of just bring a bit more of the educational the literature um those kind of things to the professional wrestling
0: great thank you i feel like we should start right there so um what does it mean to be writing and reading poetry uh, in the ring? <laughs> Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, um, that's something that I kind of stumbled backwards into. Um, I, I never was much of a, a poet or a writer um, in, in my previous life, uh, but I kind of just got some inspiration um, to really get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, a couple of guys that I train with, the Cook brothers, they're actual brothers um they fight like brothers they're constantly feuding or yelling at each other even though they're supposed to be a team and they're brothers and i would always joke that the the sexual tension between them is palpable <laughs> and i guess at this point i should also mention most of my poetry is erotic or at least romantic in nature um i like to call it erotic fan fiction poetry um and i I continued that joke i i continued uh messing with those guys they're also like honorary members of the academy i guess um and i continued that joke with them until the point of like well the only logical thing is that i need to write a love poem (laughs) and so i tried my hand at it and it got really good reactions from my peers as well as fans and i thought this might be something so I, I started writing p- more poetry and introducing it into the ring. And usually what happens is I'll try to read poetry and then I will somehow be interrupted and never actually get to finish my poem on the wrestling show, though I have a couple times. Um, I guess that's part of the charm is leaving people wanting more, um, which also sets up for what me reading on my podcast. Um, doing live readings in other venues. I've done comedy shows. I've done um, uh, like pre pre pre-show events, pre-wrestling show events where where they would hype up the the upcoming show. Um, yeah, and so it it's opened up a new world of wrestling for me. it's I've never been a fan of wrestling as like um, the the macho thing that most people see it as. I, I like to see, the things that subvert those expectations, play around with the roles, play around um, with the tough guy personas that we usually think of when we think of professional wrestling.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, we're a we're a website devoted to literature and everything else to do with creativity and performance. So um, you're just the perfect person for us to speak to as someone thinking about a particular kind of performance we're really interested in, professional wrestling, but then putting inside it the world of poetry. Um, So thank you. It's a really great start up for our our conversation. I'm really interested in the idea of, um, I I like to talk about and learn about process. So I I like to hear about how the idea of the poetry develops from your, basically, if I'm understanding you right, taunting and being mean to these two brothers. (laughs) Um, So that really interests me. I love the idea that you don't often complete your poems in the ring. So whether that's something that the audience are, are pleased about you know are, are they supposed to be on your side or are they meant to be really cross with you for writing poetry and they're pleased you haven't finished or are you tantalizing them with how the poem's going to end i'm kind of interested in that as well um yeah how the poem actually works within the ring for you and for everyone else
1: yeah um uh i guess i'll start with the process the uh like i said like it, it just started from taunting and it was all it's all good nature we're all friends um and i never And the the biggest thing for me was i never wanted it to be harmful i never wanted to present like um i never wanted the butt of the joke to be oh these brothers are gay or whatever like i don't that that's harmful i don't want that that's not cool uh i always just wanted it to be people get uncomfortable when there's sexual tension people get like like giddy i guess is a good way is a good word for it where like you, you know what's going on. You know what's happening. Oh, um, yeah, the innuendo yeah. is what makes people like uncomfortable, but it's also fun. Um, and I think that's a, a, a level of comedy, which is p- something I draw inspiration from is, is comedy in general, but a level of comedy, oh. I think it comes from that feeling of uncomfortable uncomfortability. Um, putting, putting, putting people in a place where they don't feel normal. And so I think that playing with those sexual expectations does that. I a big thing that I I want to try to keep in my poetry is I never like get vulgar with it. I never like fully am like um, how can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I never am like talking about like, and then he thro- he deep throated his cock like. And sorry, my cat's gonna be running around. In Don't the worry, background. it's
0: just at the perfect time. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I never want to write like explicit sex scenes um, because I think that that in doing so releases that tension that I've built up through all the innuendo.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's kind of the goal with the, with the poetry. Um, and in the similar vein, when I'm presenting it in the ring, if I'm reading it in the ring, I also am seeking to play with that expectation. I'm seeking to put that level of innuendo, build the anticipation of what's going to happen next. And usually, that's what happens when I get cut off. If somebody interrupts me, say with their entrance music or starts attacking me, that builds that that uh, anticipation of of wanting to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And often, often um, the poetry is used as as a tactic to get people to hate me. To To get people to to be mad they don't want to see poetry they came to a wrestling show they want to see people fight but and especially in in modern wrestling um within like the last few years we've seen a lot more people wanting different stuff out of wrestling we've seen a lot more people and that's what opens it up to a new audience right like if you just go to a show and it's all just like wrestlers wrestlers doing the wrestling, um, that's boring. It's all the same thing. Once you've seen it once, you've seen it a million times. But if, it, if it's diverse, if there's different things that draw people in, so like maybe, like a circus, if you see, if you're not interested in what's happening in a match that's happening right now, maybe the next match will get you. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I lean into. And what I enjoy about wrestling is the diversity of what what you can see. You can see something funny. You can see something uh, heartbreaking. You can you can feel like there's all these different feelings that a show can help bring you out. And I just like to think that I'm another ring in that circus, I guess. And uh, um, oh, now I lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, so we're trying to build the anticipation, and now. Um, Nowadays, people are more interested in seeing that kind of stuff, Um, the stuff that subverts wrestling. So um, more recently, I've seen people start to get behind me, start to like want to know what happens next in the poem. And I've been able to play with that as well, where I can be interrupted at the beginning of the match. But once I get the upper hand, well, that's the perfect time for me to continue reading my poem. And people love it or they hate it, but they, it, they, it gets a reaction. And people, it, no matter what, they're anticipating it. If, if I'm getting the upper hand and I'm reading my poem and get cut off again, then they're anticipating to hear what's going to happen next. Or if I get the upper hand and I'm reading my poem, people are anticipating, well, who's going to shut them up? Uh, so it's all about playing with expectations.
0: I love it. Thank you. Um, I know you don't need any, uh, historical precedent to justify what you do, because what you do is already fabulous. But um, I just happened this week to be reading about, um, so I I work on the history of um, performance in the 16th century, but I'm really interested in performance much more generally in terms of things like combat, fighting, fencing, wrestling. Um, And in the 16th century, there's a tradition of men showing how amazing they are on the battlefield by having archery competitions. But in the middle of the 16th century in the Netherlands, this for some reason develops into poetry competitions so they're they're firing their arrows and demonstrating what a brilliant man they are, but at the same time they're wowing each other with their rhyming couplets. <laughs> wow,
1: I like that a lot.
0: <laughs> I love that idea of you in the ring. I mean, it's um, this is what really fascinates me about wrestling is is the the playing with the audience's expectations, playing with the rhythms of the match, um, and if you you're kind of setting up these two different rhythms of how the fight is going and at the same time how the poem is going. Uh, both you. Just to check, I've understood. Nick, are you writing the poem at the same time that you're delivering it? Uh, is that the idea? No, I,
1: uh, no. The idea is usually. Oh, I wish I was that talented. <laughs> uh, um, I usually will write them ahead of time. It's it's a, harder if I don't know what my match is going into the show, which happens occasionally. Um, and if that's the case, I'll usually be more general or more broad about what I write about, or more. Um, I've written about like horror movie monsters, like Frankenstein or Jason Voorhees, like whatever suits my fancy. Like if there's something I'm passionate about, I want to put it into my writing. Wow. Um, so if I have the opportunity where I don't know like who I'm wrestling or what's going on on that show, I'll take that opportunity to write about something different. But I do. I am not talented enough to write the poem during the match. I wish I was.
0: And, but are you pretending that you're doing that? Is that something you're... Uh, no, no. I try to
1: I try to be... I, I think it's all... Um, I it's hard to get like a, what a fan, how a fan would interpret it. Um, But the the way I'm trying to present it is I have, I have written these, I have a vast, and as I say on my podcast, I try to present the idea that I have a vast library of erotic (laughs) fan fiction poetry that I just, I dip into and I make a selection and this is what I'm going to read at this moment. Um, When in reality, uh, I'm, and I'm really pulling that back the curtain now I'm usually like, the night before like oh i gotta write a poem and i i'm i'm desperately trying to like figure out like what works what makes sense um for what's happening on the show but also with who i'm talking about um and then make it all rhyme and make it make sense um and i think i for the most part pull that off
0: yeah absolutely um one of the things i really like about your podcast is that although you do often refer to your massive you know like prince's fault of music uh, you you talk, talk about your massive bolt of, of poetry, but at the same time, quite often you do also very endearingly say, "Oh God, I'm nearly running out. <laughs> I'm really having to write this uh, very quickly to keep up with the podcast." I really like that tension.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I try. Uh, it's it's a weird uh, line to walk because um, obviously, in any performance, you're turning a dial up to like eleven. Like you're not presenting who you really are. Like you're taking certain aspects and turning it up, um, and Back in the day, like a few years ago, like four years ago or something, I've been wrestling for seven or eight years now, I think. Um, So like four years ago, I would have done, uh, I would not have been as open about who I am in reality. Um, I would have presented myself as 100% this person who's completely together. I would have like made people buy into the idea that I do have this vast library um, but the way that wrestling has evolved and changed, it's really hard to get those really far out there concepts like that to stick with people and resonate with people because essentially, and again, pulling back the curtain, uh, now, now the place that we're in with wrestling is people know it's not, we're not actually fighting. People know that we're, uh, that it's a performance, and so when they come to these shows, we are asking them to suspend their disbelief. We're cert- asking them to like for a certain level of suspension of disbelief. And there's a point where it's insulting if we're asking for too much. Um, there's like a weird middle ground. Cause like, if you go like really far out there, then people are totally into it. It's totally cool. We've seen that with like a lot of wrestling, especially during the pandemic things get really far out there and people dig it. Mm-hmm. But um if you don't go far enough, then it becomes uh, like an eye roll. Like people are like, we really want, you You want me to, to believe this? Um, And then it's insulting to the audience. And that's something that I've always had trouble with, with wrestling is that it seems to kind of hate its audience sometimes. Um, It's really big about um, like dumb stories or dumb character things that um, like, a character making, uh, taking an action that doesn't make sense for their character. Um, and we're just supposed to like bite it and be like, okay, I guess this is what's happening now. And it seems really insulting. Um, so I, I try to walk that line of like, um, and even in my, and this comes maybe almost naturally because of who I am, but even like mid match, um, if things aren't going my character's way, if things aren't going my way in the match, I will have a freak out. Like, I cannot maintain composure because my character wants to present like he is all together, like he has everything figured out, when in reality, none of us do. So, why would it any, so what, why would it be a believable character if he had everything together? There has to be flaws, and that's one of my character's fatal flaws.
0: Great. Wow. Thank you. Um, you're talking there about your longer career and um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the mercy of YouTube as to how much of that career I understand. But um, one thing that really interests me about that career is, um, and just correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it looks like there's a shift between a kind of an earlier phase where you are the good guy um, and wonderfully and hilariously uh, what a key part of your role is um, veganism. And I really love that that's something that we could maybe talk about as well. And then there seems to be the switch where you become an evil poet. (laughs) Is that right? And can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can give you kind of a timeline because there are like weird phases of my career where I started out. So like I started out in Portland at DOA pro wrestling, um, which is where I was originally trained. I started out as just like a young trainee, like, the the big the greenhorn who who's just like happy-go-lucky and happy to be there and i was in um this group we called next gen because when i got into wrestling i hey, had this I, idea
0: oh, yeah. sorry to interrupt you what is what does greenhorn mean i'm not familiar with that term
1: oh sorry yeah if i do that please let me know <laughs> um greenhorn is kind of just like the um it's the way a wrestling uh the wrestling community would refer to just a rookie okay um so like i'm just a happy-go-lucky rookie um excited to be there and um our group is called next gen because when i got into wrestling i had the idea that i was gonna be the video game guy because i thought that's what made me special i love video games so i thought that's that's what made me different that was what i was passionate about and then now you look at wrestling, like, every single wrestler is, like, wow. really into gaming. Every single wrestler screams on Twitch. It's not, like, new or novel anymore. Um, but that's what I thought seven years ago or whenever. Yeah, it was about seven years ago. Um, so there's that that era. And then um, once that group kind of split up and we all kind of went our separate ways, I – Change things up to be more meme culturey, I guess. Still like the good guy, still happy go lucky, and I got this singlet that had a cat face on it, and um, people loved it because it's funny. People like cats, uh, obviously, um, and so I was the cat guy for a while. <laughs> but there's only so much you can do with that. Like there's it, there's not much character development you can do as a cat guy. <laughs> Um, and so I, I went that path and then I was like, I need something different. I need to change it up. And I kind of became this evil hipster character. Mm. Um, and I, I started wearing a scarf and I started carrying a coffee mug and I was snooty. And, um, that's kind of like what I, and eventually like all iterations of, of who Nick Radford is are stem from that. Um, that was my first foray into being a bad guy. Um, and that was kind of like what got me to where I am now. I um, and that character kind of had some iterations. Um, project forty two is a wonderful show, ran out of Seattle. Um, it kind of gave me a lot of creative freedom, but they also had a few ideas of their own. So I well while, while playing this hipster character, I, I was also, um, placed with this like snooty rich kid element I guess um, and it, it led to one of my favorite moments in in my wrestling career which was once I did like whatever dastardly heel thing I did and people were, were hating me for it they just started chanting eat the rich at me and it was if you've never had a room full of people chanting eat the rich at you it is a horrifying and beautiful thing it's it's gorgeous <laughs> um and so that that eventually kind of like transitioned into the vegan character which was not real i i uh, have never actually been a vegan and this is this is a big deal because um one of my closest friends ethan hd is actually a vegan and I, I thought it was a funny gimmick for a while and it, it is fun. Um, and uh, it's so easy because most of the time when I was doing it, I was doing that character in small town, rural Washington. Um, so like, it's all, uh, I don't want to insult anybody, but it's all like blue collar workers, um, red meat eating Americans. Mm. So like they do not like the idea of a vegan. Um, they don't understand the the concept. Um, so it was easy, 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 cheap heat, um, which is when people hate you. I don't know if, if that term transitions. Um, so I did that for a while, but uh, when my friend, when Ethan, kind of became vegan, I was like, this, this feels icky that I'm doing this character. Um, but I had already kind of started transitioning that character from what was the vegan to, and essentially I'm just swapping out props this whole time. I swapped a scarf for, um, I don't even, I don't even know what, a cardigan when I was, when I was a vegan, I swapped the scarf for the cardigan and then I added a book and now we're kind of here. Um, and again, the, the original cat, the original idea, um, With the book, I had the book before I started writing poetry, actually, Um, because somebody had, a friend of mine had mentioned, oh, well, because I always write down stuff and I always like take notes at training and at shows, like if I see something I like, I know I'm not going to remember it. So I like write, I like to write it down. I also keep a notebook on me at all times if I need to make any notes. Um, I just like having physical paper as opposed to like putting it on my phone. Um, And so... Um, someone was like, why don't you do that? Why don't you make that your character, the guy who writes stuff down? <laughs> and so, which doesn't sound like a great idea, but if you expand on it and, and tweak it a little bit, then yeah. And it is essentially a scholar character all mm-hmm. along. And then when the idea to write uh, poetry came around, I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense why I'm carrying the book. Because originally it was just like a textbook, um and um which is fine and that's how the academy was formed was uh we were both scholars um i was more based on literature he's more based on the sciences um
0: how equitable are you (laughs) yeah right
1: um and so then yeah the the poetry just seemed natural and it fit and it made sense
0: yeah it's fascinating i'm i'm writing on paper right now as we're talking um and as you say it doesn't seem immediately like a, a super exciting gimmick but actually it is a really interesting act because um it kind of takes you away from the conversation you're having um, either privately or in public like we are on screen now um uh and it, you know i always feel bad when i'm taking notes because i have to look away from you and um my focus is on something that i can see and that you can't so it does something to the person you're with and it does something to anyone who's watching as well i think um and I think there might even be a history of people who write, who write things down, um, both, both in the creative arts, like in literature, but also maybe in totalitarian regimes. You know, If you take a pen out and you start writing something down, people notice and people are like, what, why, are you, why are you making a record of this conversation or this, this moment? So it, it does kind of interesting things to a live, a live moment of any kind, but particularly I think in a performance. And I'm really interested in the idea that the book comes out with the kind of the vegan character, um, you mentioned being snooty and having a pot of coffee. I, I'm British, so I'm already snooty, and I've got a coffee, so I'm, I'm halfway there to that role. Um, but, yeah, I love that idea that kind of props are leading you in different directions, and the fact that you're bringing a book into the ring starts you writing. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah, and actually um, something I just thought of because you, you kind of were talking about it, um, uh, it's, it, like, creates – what you're saying with, with taking notes, it creates, like, a break – like there's like a, a physical break that happens between you and me. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of like what the, what the idea of the character was originally with the book is like, this is like my shield between me and you people, um, which also gets into some weird, and this is kind of the icky stuff I was feeling with the vegan character is it gets into some weird things that wrestling does where it villainizes things that are objectively good Um, like if you break it all down being a vegan is not a bad thing but if you present it in this certain way to this certain crowd i'm the biggest villain on the show (laughs) Um, and similarly with the book like we're essentially demonizing education like people were mad at me because i was educated Mm. and and it's it's weird but also these people were able to immediately and that's part of like wrestling is being simplistic but like it's interesting that just having the book people are able to like pinpoint exactly what what i'm doing pinpoint exactly who this character is what he's about yeah and it it was hard to kind of break away from that to become more of like a good guy role um the poetry helps obviously because people like it Um, But it's not something you could introduce organically, I don't think. Like if I were just to debut as the poet Mm -hmm. of professional wrestling um, without any other context, I don't know if it would work as well as a good guy. Because people, for some reason, wrestling has trained people to automatically be like, books are bad. Um, for some reason that's a thing that wrestling has gotten down and we've seen iterations of that evil vegan character too Daniel Bryan did it recently like a couple years ago around the same time I was doing it um, like shortly after I had kind of started to break away from it was doing the evil vegan thing mm. um, so it's just interesting to to note um, the weird ickiness that wrestling can do of like villainizing good things
0: yeah and I wonder if as well as villainising good things, it sort of brings us back to the beginning of the conversation when you were talking about um, uh, masculinity and expectations of it. And, um, you know, all forms of masculinity are jaw-droppingly fragile and silly. Um, and wrestling is complicit in, you know, wrestling is is a is one, of, one of the ways in which our culture says things about men and men's bodies and men's emotions and what a man's body should be doing, which is fighting and carrying on fighting no matter what. And then, if you mm-hmm. come into that space and go, I do not eat cows in a cow-eating in, in a part of the world which defines masculinity by cow-eating, or I write poetry, or I'm I'm hanging out with this book, even though I'm amongst you people. Um, it's 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 doing it's troubling masculinity. And um, you talked earlier, Nick, about the poetry that you write, um, romanticizing or eroticizing the people around you and the world around you. And um, I also wonder if simply the act of of talking about veganism and talking about books already kind of puts people's identity in a strange place in relation to masculinity and potentially mm-hmm. sexuality in a world which thinks in, um, and again, we're not talking about anyone in, in your audience here, but just in the culture at large, you know, our, our yeah, culture yeah. gets really anxious about any kinds of masculine identity that slip in ways. So you can go quite quickly from, you know, cow eating to uh poetry writing to other other things like sexuality or other kinds of masculine identity i guess but there's kind of weird slippages there and you're you're playing with all those things all at once
1: yeah and it's actually really interesting um because all these characters are kind of drawn from my experience growing up because i grew up in in like a rural small town in oregon and um I was trained, I was taught to, to dislike people who thought they were better than me or, or who were X or Y. And so like, I, I always just used that kind of like concept and turned it up to 11. Um, I think that if I were, if I were to take the Nick Radford of now or the Nick Radford or the vegan Nick Radford or any of these, those like later year characters and, um, Plop them in front of like ten-year-old Nick Radford. I think I would have hated myself too. Um, which just, which I think, um, obviously, I, I've I've evolved and I've been able to interact with other people and I've been able to understand the nuances of those things. Um, but it's just interesting to see um, take those personal experiences and and turn it on its head, which I think is the biggest, most important thing for us to do with any anything in our lives. Really, is to challenge it. And and play with those expectations and play with those tropes, um, play with the roles uh, to to make people uncomfortable. Because the more you make people uncomfortable, the the more normalizing things become. And obviously, that 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 can be taken to an extreme extent, and it can be damaging. Um, but I think a little uncomfortability is important. Like. Vulnerability is another thing that makes people really uncomfortable. And that's one another thing I try to do with my platform nowadays is be vulnerable about things like my mental health. Um, Cause I, I have social anxiety and it can get pretty severe. And I try to be um, really vocal about that. Cause I think about like that 10 year old Nick, if he had seen someone who is a wrestler, who's open about their anxiety, maybe he would have latched onto that. And I assume that other people would do the same. Mm.
0: Yeah, thank you. Ditto. Uh a 10-year-old Andy would be really grateful to you for what you're doing and so is um well I've just turned 40. I regret talking about my age now, but anyway, uh 40-year-old <laughs> Andy is also grateful to you for um uh talking about that because it is so um it's so incredibly important. I'm really interested as well to think I I'm kind of um dovetailing back to the beginning of the conversation again and still thinking about the idea of the poetry. One of the things that is really distinctive about your writing and you 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 mentioned this right at the start is that it is uh it's opening the door to the potential eroticism of wrestling itself um but as you quite rightly said and I think it's a real achievement of your writing it doesn't do that in a a judgmental way and yet it is doing it in a context which can often feel very um phobic about all kinds of different sexuality um and I'm Mm -hmm. as a gay wrestling fan myself uh, I always wonder a bit about the word homoerotic when we talk about wrestling because I sort of feel in lots of ways it's just simply erotic not not um not by defaults, but it's a it's an art form which is which invites display and it invites physical intimacy in ways which again our culture usually would never dream either of participating in or of watching publicly. Um, yeah. So I really value uh, the kind of free spirited nature of the poetry, but I wonder if you might tell us a bit about what it means to acknowledge that and to talk about it within a match, because part of me wonders if actually. The more you talk about it, the less it becomes true. Uh, but it opens a kind of safety valve. Um, I'm not, by the way, I feel like I've just said your poetry is unsexy. I'm not saying that. No, no, no. But, but, I wonder, <laughs> but I wonder if by talking about it, it almost, by talking about it and acknowledging it, I wonder if it takes it away. I've got no idea. I, I wonder what, what it means to talk about these things within a match. That's a big question. I'm that's, sorry.
1: No, that's that's an awesome question. Um, <laughs> and honestly, it's something I hadn't really thought about. So I'm going to, I'm just going to talk through this um, and we're kind of like going to go through my, my thought process together. Right. Thank you. Um, so to start, I, um, one of the things that really inspired me to start writing this poetry was um, a, uh, an erotic author named Dr. Chuck Tingle. I don't know if you're familiar here at all.
0: No, um, Amazing name.
1: He, um, he, he got famous writing like very, silly parody erotic stories um that would that like he would usually write about like dinosaurs uh like um concepts he's very big on like doing like concepts having intercourse um Hmm. relationships between like dinosaurs and bigfoot and like silly stuff like that um also lots of parodies so like and if something got popular, like, I, I was introduced because somebody shared, like, um, when Pokemon Go got big, someone shared, like, a, look at this funny Pokemon Go uh, erotic story. And so I started kind of following him, and he's very, um, very, very sex positive, and, like, uh, it's really important him, for him to, because his stories are a parody, and, like, um, they're funny and silly, but then, like, they get down to the nitty-gritty when it comes time. And that's also part of the the humor that um, that me as a straight cis man um, would find in it at first was the uncomfortability of like these sex scenes because mostly he would write uh, cis male cis male. Originally, that was all he wrote, and then eventually, like he started branching out um, to female female, cis female cis female, um, transgender tales, non-dysphoric transgender tales. Um, so I like kind of running the gambit, but he, he always makes sure, especially when he started branching out to consult with people within those, those communities to make sure he wasn't being harmful. And that's, um, and again, like since I, since I brought it up, like it as a straight cis male, it's hard to dip my toe into that because I do feel like I'm coming into a world because there are very famous, uh, uh, queer wrestlers that are that are doing really good work to change the perception of what a queer wrestler can be and i don't want to be um the straight man playing gay i I never want to do that because that's harmful um but i i think i try really hard to to capture sexuality in general like i'm not trying to like Oh gosh, this is hard. I'm not trying to to gender my poems like I can write about whatever like I don't see it as like, uh, X and Y or X and X. Like I don't see it that way. I just see them these characters because and I think part of being able to achieve that is keeping it just innuendo. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I, I feel like if I were to go further, then maybe the joke might become like, oh, it's a gay thing, which again i don't want that's harmful um so i and i've i've had this discussion a lot and i've had these thought processes but i've gone back and forth about like am i doing this right am i okay and i do consult with with people in those those communities uh to make sure that i'm not being harmful um and they they always reassure me that i'm not um so i i'll take that that as i can and it if I ever were to be, I would want people to bring it to attention because I never want that. I want to be able to learn from this. Um, and part of the reason I do it now is because being raised as a cis straight man, um, sex was super, in a, in a rural community, sex was super taboo. Um, and, like, I didn't learn anything about it. Um, even Even, like what you would expect from like uh sex ed like we didn't learn anything um and so it always made me uncomfortable it made me uncomfortable for a really long time like i didn't like <laughs> this is embarrassing but i didn't like game of thrones because it was too sexy hmm. um like i it made me uncomfortable um and so that was something i within myself i was like why is this something that's happening why why is it making me uncomfortable and that's so something that i confronted within myself right um and i'm fortunate that i've had partners that i've been able to talk about that with and whatnot um and i think my goal is with the poetry is to help other people achieve that like obviously most of the people that i'm i'm that are i'm writing the poetry for are already there they understand that sex is silly and goofy and weird and we can all talk about how weird it is and how and like how it can make us like uncomfortable but like in a good way Mm -hmm. um which is the goal of the poetry but i also hope that in doing so in doing so i can maybe like maybe i can find like i said with the with the 10 year old nick radford maybe i can find uh Eighteen-year-old Nick Radford, nineteen-year-old Nick Radford, out there who does feel like weird. I'm uncomfortable about sex a little bit because I because like it was super taboo and I didn't learn anything about it. Um, so that's kind of what the intention is. Uh, I feel like I've lost the point a little bit.
0: No, you're no, you're totally on point. Um, it's fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, and I think we should say for any of those, you know, anyone watching this. Um, for whom this is new. There's lots of content on our website um, to explore um around queer and trans issues um but because you mentioned the idea of sex positivity I will direct this there's listeners to a film we made right at the start of this project which is hilarious um Uh, And actually, if there are any Nick Radford fans and wrestling fans watching this film who would like to learn more about the sex-positive medieval period, I strongly direct Mm -hmm. them to, I think it's film Seven uh, with Ellen E. a hilarious film um, about just how sexy the medieval period was. Um, But yeah, I think, I mean, I sometimes feel like I spend a lot of my time making sex deeply unsexy in my work um, Mm -hmm. in the name of trying to make it feel less terrifying and scary, but yeah. yeah, it's it's really important, and um, the the the, um, the dialogue that you talk about there with um, particular kinds of communities and the dialogue with yourself, I think, really shows up in the work because it would be so easy for um, uh, literature in a in a wrestling ring context to slip into all kinds of um, positions and judgments, and your work just goes right through that and simply um points to sexual and other kinds of possibilities and i think that's really interesting and exciting uh and something that i've really valued about your work
1: i really appreciate you saying that that means a lot and actually you um you brought up a memory that i have because i i didn't grow up watching wrestling um i started watching wrestling when i was probably like 13 uh like a friend of mine introduced me to it i i grew up thinking wrestling was stupid and never wanting to watch it. Um, but a friend of mine got me into it. And when I got into it, was around like 2004, probably. Um, it was like when John Cena was becoming big and, uh, let me know if I need to uh, provide any more context to this, but like John, the thing that made John Cena famous is essentially doing the same thing that I'm doing. Um, is he would rap, he would do raps. Like, um, Yep. but literally the same exact thing like his was raps mine was poetry that's the only difference which rap is poetry um especially with the way he was doing it um but he very very famously all of his raps were extremely and this is indicative of Vieira too in wrestling they were extremely homophobic extremely um and the Again, this era was was very much in that way of like homophobic and super super harmful to women, um, and so that was indicative of the, of the era. Not that it's good, but that's just the era it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at that, um, looking at it then. I even then I was like, this is weird. But n- now I I feel. I feel pride in being able to be like the polar opposite of that. My goal is to be the polar opposite of that. And, and it's not John Cena's fault. Um, obviously they have like a writing team, obviously like he, he's given these lines. Um, but, uh, I want to be the opposite of that. I want to be the least harmful, uh, in compare, especially in comparison to something like that. Like we never, we, we can never go back to that yeah. is, is my goal for wrestling.
0: Yeah. And you're right. Poetry and rap are essentially the same thing, but I guess the key difference going back to masculinity is that rap is really strongly associated with masculinity and poetry isn't. And I also, I'm trying to think when Eminem became big, I suppose, quite a bit before that, but there's also something about race, I presume, with a white guy rapping in 2004. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but, um, I, I guess it's playing into all, all kinds of, um, constructions about what a man looks like and, and it's like, um, Nick, I think we should draw this to a close, but I'm really sad to say that because I'm loving the conversation. I'm really, really grateful to everything you you've shared with us. Um, and uh, I don't wanna say grateful to how articulate you've been because that sounds really patronizing, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you've been very open um, about what you do. And I really appreciate and, and value that. And I think so too will lots of people watching this. Um, I'm just gonna summarize where we've got to, partly so you can correct me and partly just for the benefit. Uh, of our audience. Um, but I think just the title of the poet laureate of wrestling is just the best job description of all time, and you must never let that fall off of your your resume. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love the idea of writing and reading poems with within the ring. I guess I've got that wrong about writing the poem in the ring, but um, certainly of reading the poem in the ring. Uh, and also, I like the idea there are two different fights going on you're fighting your opponent, and you're also fighting your ability to write, to deliver the poem. And I think that's really exciting and fun. And um, uh, I think the conversation we've had about it. the erotics of wrestling is really important and the, the politics of that as well. I think if I had time, I might ask a follow-up question, but I'm a bit worried it's a massive can of worms we mustn't open. But you've talked about doing this over the last four years. So I wonder what that's been like given our current political moment um, and who we've had in, in, in power not just in your country, but in mine, but maybe we shouldn't go there. We could always turn the camera off and talk about that if you like. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm interested in what what that did to the context of what you were doing.
1: <laughs> well, um, <laughs> and you're welcome to cut any of this out. Um, but I, I am comfortable talking about like, um, I, I hate the word radicalize because um, it feels uh, it feels like it creates um, an expectation or something um, or, or it creates like a, like a wall like, like you are either on this side or this side um, but there, there's always the meme going around of like what radicalized you and it very much um, obviously like I, I, I was uh, passionate about things but and I talk about this a little bit because again I think it's important to talk about I this is the first year I've ever voted in my life Um, and that's not something I'm proud of. Um, it was just, I wasn't educated well enough to understand the consequences that our uh, the voting system in the United States has. Um, I wasn't, I was educated that, (laughs) um, one side is good and one side is bad. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like the one side is good. One side is bad concepts. I just went about it in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of like trying to figure out who would do the the least harm, because as a straight cis white male, I don't have, I never had to think about those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially growing up in the world that I grew up in. Um, So instead of trying to figure out who did less harm, I just defaulted to, I'm going to sit this one out. Um, And that's an extremely privileged take to have. Um, And, but, Obviously, like especially the last four years, have really um, lit a fire uh, under my ass uh, to do to undo the harm that not only I did by sitting it out, but like undo the harm that people in my family have done by um, not understanding. Uh, the struggles of other people uh, not understanding the consequences of their voting habits. Um, so I think that that plays a pretty, pretty big role in my poetry and in my wrestling in general. Um, I've, I've talked on social media before, I think about like, um, my parents really enforced like weird gender roles on me. Like you can't have a Furby because that's a girl's toy, stuff like that. Um and I, or like, you can't watch certain shows because they're girl shows. Um, and I'll always, and this is all, and it's a little, you can tell me if this is a, if this is a harmful jer- joke, um, but I, I'll always joke like, well, joke's on them. Cause now I play fight in my underwear with other guys. Like if you're really trying to, like I would, I just went the opposite direction. I fought against it. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Uh, Is fight against those things that were instilled in me, so that other people don't have to have those instilled in them, so that people can understand the importance of all the things that we've talked about today, and all the and a a ton of other things that I didn't understand when I was an 18-year-old straight cis white male. Um, So I, that's my goal is to use those privileges to try to fight against the the harm that my my the my parents' privilege has, has done. I try to use my privilege to undo their their privilege.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's really fascinating. And I guess that idea of one side is good and one side is bad, that speaks both to the political moment we're living through, but also wrestling as a genre often both plays, you know, has that and also plays against it in lots of interesting ways. So that's really fascinating. Yeah, um, Nick, I've learned so much. Thank you very, very much. Um, uh, I'm just looking through my notes, Think if there's anything else I should... Um, make sure we talk about, but I think we've underlined everything that um, you've brought up in the film. Uh, I really value having this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you
1: so much. I've had a blast.
0: Good.